minimizing sources of airborne, aerosolized, and contact contaminants in the OR environment. By Donna Armelino. Abstract. Surgical site infections are unintended consequences of surgery that can cause harm to patients and place financial burdens on healthcare organizations. Extrinsic factors in the OR, including healthcare providers' behavior and practices that modify air movement, the physical environment, equipment, or surgical instruments, can increase microbial contamination. Microbes can be transported into the surgical incision by airborne or contact routes and contribute to a surgical site infection. Simple practices to prevent infection, such as minimizing airborne particles and contaminants, maintaining equipment according to the manufacturer's recommendations, cleaning and disinfecting the environment and surgical instruments, and performing proper hand hygiene can reduce the degree of microbial contamination. Perioperative leaders and healthcare providers can help decrease the patient's risk of surgical site infection with proactive prevention practices that break the chain of infection. Surgical site infections, SSIs, in patients who have undergone surgical procedures, pose harm to patients and place a financial burden on healthcare organizations. The likelihood, severity, and type of an SSI can be dependent on intrinsic factors, such as the patient's age and underlying comorbidities, and the type and length of the surgical procedure. Extrinsic factors in the OR, such as healthcare provider HCP behavior, and practices that modify air movement, the physical environment, equipment, or surgical instruments, also can increase microbial contamination and the risk of SSI development. Patients and HCPs can help control the effects of these intrinsic and extrinsic factors with practices such as cessation of smoking, preoperative bathing, preoperative prophylactic antibiotics, alcohol-based patient skin antisepsis, and maintenance of body temperature. In the OR environment, microbial contamination can occur through an airborne or contact route. The potential exists for microbes to infect the surgical incision through one of these routes, resulting in a reported association between OR contaminants and SSIs. However, not every study has found a strong link between air or surface contamination and infection. AORN's Guideline for Perioperative Practice outlines the best practices to minimize OR contaminants. When aligned with evidence-based standards, the behavior and practices of HCPs can reduce the degree of OR microbial contamination. Surgery has risks and benefits, but neither the patient nor the HCP expects an SSI to be one of the outcomes. Therefore, attempts to decrease risks from endogenous and exogenous sources remains an essential component of overseeing a harm-free operative environment. This article summarizes the recent literature reporting on sources of contamination and their association with SSIs, transport mechanisms for exogenous microbes, and ways to break the chain of infection from OR contamination. Airborne Sources and Control of Contaminants Airborne or aerosolized particles, which can carry microorganisms, can be measured using a counter that reports the air particulate count, APC, using a microbiologic air collection device that reports colony-forming units, CFUs, and by culturing the air, for example, with agar plates. Microorganisms that researchers have identified in OR air include 
Staphylococcus aureus, Staphylococcus epidermidis, Bacillus species, and Streptococcus species. Sources for airborne contaminants can be human skin squames, respiratory aerosols, and dust-containing microbial particles. Airborne contaminants in the OR can be minimized with positive pressure ventilation system controls and downward vertical airflow with frequent filtered air exchanges. Another method involves laminar airflow ventilation with high-velocity air movement in the same direction over the patient and surgical team with minimal crossover of airstreams. The value of laminar airflow ventilation versus turbulent, that is, conventional airflow, continues to be controversial. Laminar airflow versus turbulent airflow. The use of laminar airflow ventilation compared with conventional ventilation systems continues to be associated with no change in risk of SSI. Bischoff and others searched the literature from 1990 to 2014, conducted a meta-analysis of 12 observational studies, and reported the same finding that there was no difference in reported SSIs for laminar airflow compared with conventional ventilation. However, there may be a potential benefit to the use of mobile laminar airflow units. Sidreza and Holmberg evaluated a mobile laminar airflow unit placed near the OR bed and assessed airborne particles and microorganisms and the settlement rate of viable surface particles. The number of airborne and surface contaminants were lower with mobile laminar airflow. Another group of investigators, Lumens and others, developed two prototype vented blankets. Both vented blankets were laid over a simulated patient during a simulated operative procedure. The blankets applied high-efficiency particulate air-filtered air around the incision, one parallel to the body and one perpendicular to the body. The researchers measured APCs in the incision area with and without the blankets and reported significantly lower particle concentration at the incision site when using these devices. Particle or CFU reduction at the incision site may decrease SSIs. Deruche and others conducted a randomized controlled trial with surgical patients and reduced airborne contaminants at the incision site using a device that created non-turbulent filtered air above the surgical field. Patients in the intervention group and in the control group had airborne CFUs and APCs measured at their incision sites. Measurements taken within a few inches of the incision revealed that the intervention group had significantly lower median APCs and CFUs compared with a control group. No patients in the intervention group developed implant infections, as opposed to four patients in the control group who developed implant infections. Although evidence on the efficacy of laminar airflow in the OR is conflicting, cleaner air at the incision site may be an economical solution to reduce airborne contamination of the incision. OR Behavior and Practice Certain activities in the OR can increase airborne contaminants. Noguchi and others measured the APC using a laser particle counter during three patterns of physical movement to mimic intraoperative actions during orthopedic surgery. The investigators reported a high APC during the unfolding of surgical gowns, glove removal, and arm insertion through the sleeves of gowns. In an experimental study by Villa Frula and others, the opening and closing of sliding OR doors with and without someone entering or exiting the room changed airflow patterns and created pressure differences, both of which can result in contaminants entering the OR. Teeter and others 
gathered baseline data on OR particles the morning before, between, and after procedures using a particulate counter. The baseline mean APCs were 9,238 and 14,292, while surgery was occurring. Particle counts increased by 13% when someone opened the outer or inner door. The researchers also suggested that larger particles entered the OR when the outer door was opened versus the inner door. Mathogen and others reported an average of eight door openings during orthopedic surgery, with higher CFUs associated with more frequent door openings. They found no association between the number of personnel present during surgery and the number of CFUs. Bull and others evaluated total door traffic rates from each OR door in relation to the incidence of SSIs. There was no significant difference in total door openings between the SSI and non-SSI groups. However, there was a paradoxical difference in relation to main door opening events per minute, which were lower in the SSI group than the non-SSI group. The researchers also examined low and regular traffic rooms to assess the frequency of SSIs. Between the low and regular traffic room groups, there was no significant difference in the rates of SSI from the effect of low traffic protocol, the total door traffic rate, or the main door traffic rate. Wanta and others conducted a retrospective case-controlled study of the number of personnel in an OR related to the incidence of SSIs. The researchers reported the risk for SSIs as significantly higher when additional HCPs were in the room. However, after adjusting the data in both groups for operative duration, body mass index, diabetes mellitus, and vascular disease, the number of additional HCPs in the OR and the rate of SSI were no longer significantly associated. In a literature review, Bergend and others reported that in two studies, the number of personnel in the OR and SSI rates, or airborne contaminants, were correlated. They also reported that in an additional three studies, door openings and airborne contaminants were linked. Reducing traffic and door openings, especially involving the main door, may be a practical solution to maintaining optimal airflow with minimal circulating particles and contaminants. However, data were limited and the level of evidence was low. Esser and others counted the number of OR door openings before and after developing a policy that included staff member education, reminder signs on OR doors, and use of communication devices, such as voice-activated phones, to minimize the need to leave the OR for supplies or instruments. Door openings diminished from an average of 37.8 to 32.8 per hour, which was a 13% reduction. Current AORN surgical attire recommendations to help minimize airborne contaminants include wearing long-sleeved jackets, completely covering the head, hair, ears, and facial hair, and wearing masks whenever splashes or sprays of potentially infectious materials are anticipated to protect the patient from organisms carried in the HCP's nose or mouth. However, some recent studies have reported results that conflict with these recommendations. Chow and others reported no difference in SSIs one year before implementing the use of covered jackets, compared with one year after implementing the policy. The SSI rate was 2.42% before and 2.76% after implementation of the policy. Vincent and Edwards conducted a systematic literature review on surgical masks and SSIs in clean surgery and reported no clear benefit of wearing masks to prevent SSIs. 
However, wearing surgical masks remains a regulatory requirement as part of personal protective equipment. Shalwani and others reported on the rate of SSIs after switching from skull caps to bouffant caps and reported no significant difference in SSIs when using the skull caps versus the bouffant caps. These studies have limitations and report marginal benefits. AORN's recommendations have not changed, and regulatory agencies will continue to enforce the current guidelines. Fraser and others simulated total joint arthroplasty to assess gowned surgical glove contamination with surgical helmet systems. Participants coated their hands with fluorescent powder, applied gowns, surgical hoods, and double gloves according to protocol, and performed a 20-minute simulated total joint arthroplasty. The participants then repeated this process using five different gowning systems. The researchers assessed the degree of gown contamination with fluorescent powder using ultraviolet UV light for each of the five systems. One of the systems showed significant contamination compared with the others. The researchers hypothesized that positive pressure in the surgical helmet system may be associated with a higher rate of surgical site contamination. Another study by Tamalin and Bloomfeld evaluated airborne bacteria in the OR and examined two single-use clean-air scrub units made of polypropylene. Air sampling close to the surgical incision during 15 procedures produced results ranging from 1.3 to 15.5 CFU per cubic meter, and there was no significant difference in the number of CFUs between the two clean-air suites. Perioperative personnel should assess the type and brand of protective suit for use during surgery before purchasing to identify the risks and benefits. OR Equipment The Heater Cooler Unit, HCU, is one example of how OR equipment can lead to an increased number of airborne contaminants and SSIs. Recently, reports have linked HCUs to contamination with Mycobacterium chimera. The water external to the circuits with circulating blood was found to be contaminated with M. chimera and was aerosolized through the exhaust vent of the unit into the environment and into patients undergoing cardiothoracic surgery. Strategies to prevent infection outlined by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration include cleaning and disinfecting the units according to the manufacturer's guidelines, using sterile or filtered water, locating the unit away from the patient, with the unit fans facing away from the patient, and establishing a process for tracking the unit used for each patient. Unfortunately, Schreiber and others reported that 22 of 134 HCU water samples were positive for M. chimera, despite meticulous cleaning according to manufacturer's guidelines and using newly purchased machines. There were no infections reported during the intense cleaning period. One intervention to decrease risk is to place the unit outside the OR and maintain strict separation of air between the HCU exhaust and the OR air. In this study, because of the architectural layout of the OR and the length of the water circuit tubing, personnel could not implement this change. Instead, the facility personnel created airtight housing for the HCUs and continued with maintenance protocols and regular microbiologic testing. Personnel should assess the need for maintenance of equipment and options for placement when purchasing equipment and when regulatory agency recommendations change. There is no standard acceptable amount of airborne contaminants in the OR, but the goal is to keep them to a minimum.
the direct connection between SSIs and airborne contaminants has not been thoroughly established, but it is reasonable that there may be a link. The investigation of HCU-related infections with M. chimera is an example of the environment's role in SSIs. Understanding airborne contaminants and their sources and disbursement properties can lead to the development of strategies that may change purchasing decisions and work practices to decrease microbes in the air that could contaminate the surgical incision. Contact sources and control of contaminants. The OR may be perceived as a sterile, protected setting. However, ORs can be a breeding ground for microbes because of the type of care provided in this environment. Body secretions, frequent inadvertent touching of items and surfaces with contaminated hands or gloves, and the use of sophisticated, difficult-to-clean instruments and equipment all can contribute to contamination. Researchers can measure surface contamination by culturing specific microorganisms, assessing CFUs, adenosine triphosphate, ATP, and relative light units, RLUs, visually inspecting surfaces, and using fluorescent marking gel with allocation of contamination ratings. Microorganisms identified in a few of the studies that examined surface contamination included S. aureus, methicillin-resistant S. aureus, S. epidermidis, enterobacter, and cenetobacter species, and pseudomonas species. Alfonso Sanchez and others examined contamination of OR surfaces and its association with SSIs in a longitudinal multi-facility perspective study with a sample size of 18,910 patients. The researchers reported an overall 6.7% rate of SSI, but the rate of SSI was minimal in the absence of CFUs and environmental or surface contamination. Shen and others examined the effect of implementing various preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative initiatives for prevention of infection on the incidence of SSIs. The observational group underwent surgery after the initiatives were implemented. The initiatives included more frequent disinfection, the use of barriers for equipment, decreased movement of HCPs, wet mop cleaning, and double gloving by the surgical team. The researchers cultured the air, surfaces, and HCPs' hands and found that the observational group had significantly fewer CFUs than the control group. The observational group also had a lower rate of SSI than the control group. It is unknown which specific interventions may have led to the decreased rate of SSI, but it may be prudent to consider a variety of measures to prevent infection. OR Environment Environmental cleanliness in the OR can be achieved with manual cleaning followed by disinfection. Rutella and Weber suggest selecting a disinfectant effective against the microorganisms that are the most common causes of healthcare-associated infections. Properly training personnel on frequency of environmental cleaning, cleaning according to the manufacturer's recommendations, for example, concentration, compatibility with cleaning wipes and mops, the ability of a wipe to have sufficient moisture to achieve adequate contact time, and adhering to defined protocols. Cleaning high-touch surfaces should be a focus in the OR because of the high degree of contamination. Reasonable solutions include thorough cleaning and disinfection between procedures and at the end of the day, with or without supplemental disinfection devices, for example, UV light. The ATP bioluminescence assay can be used to measure surface contaminants in RLUs 
and assess cleanliness after routine cleaning and disinfection and before the patient enters the room. Perioperative personnel may consider using supplemental disinfection methods after cleaning and disinfection by using UV light or hydrogen peroxide aerosols or vapors. Ultraviolet light breaks the molecular bonds in DNA, thereby destroying the microorganism. Hydrogen peroxide falls on surfaces and objects, killing microorganisms on contact. A 2016 review reported that several studies found that UV light and hydrogen peroxide reduced microorganisms and resulted in a decrease in infections when used for terminal room decontamination. Catalanati and others reported a reduced number of Class I SSIs when using UV light after terminal cleaning. The advantage of both methods is that they reduce environmental contaminants. The disadvantages include capital cost, removal of HCPs from the room during use, the need for physical removal of dust and debris before use, the need for space to store the device, and additional disinfection time. More research is needed on the efficacy of these technologies in the OR environment, including their effect on OR equipment and sterile supplies. Perioperative personnel should assess and improve their current cleaning protocols, whether or not this includes the introduction of emerging technology. Supervision and monitoring of cleaning with feedback can improve the cleanliness of the OR. Peterson and others increased adherence to a multi-step cleaning protocol from essentially 0% compliance to 94% compliance by implementing remote video auditing with real-time feedback. A secondary outcome was a 10% decrease in SSIs during the year the authors introduced the video auditing compared with the previous year. Gillespie and others tested cleaning ORs with microfiber and steam technology, assessed cleanliness with random fluorescent marking and auditing, and recorded feedback from environmental cleaning staff members. Steam and microfiber cleaning reduced the cleaning time, the ORs appeared cleaner, and feedback from staff members was positive. Perioperative leaders should consider the need to assess and evaluate effectiveness of the protocol, HCP competency and continuous adherence to protocols, and additional cleaning methods. Modifying processes to eliminate the potential source of contamination is another option. In a simulation OR setting, researchers tested a single-user electronic interface activated by finger-pointing gestures. The test involved a sensor mounted on the surgeon's head that tracked finger movement and translated the movement into a medical system display by wireless internet and an Android device, which generated mouse and keyboard movements on the medical system display. This technology allowed the surgeon to assess patient information without anyone touching a keyboard or mouse, eliminating keyboard contamination. Surgical Instruments, Equipment, and Communication Devices Surgical instruments can be a source of contamination. In a 2017 study, researchers identified microbial growth on 2 of 16 sterilized ureteroscopes. The ATP results for one of the scopes exceeded the 200 RLU benchmark, and all scopes had protein detected with visible debris in the channels. Shadowin, Pessant, and others reported an increase in SSIs related to a practice change in the decontamination of the ultrasonic surgical aspirator used during craniotomy procedures. The rate of SSI from 2002 to 2014 increased from 0.6% to 4.4% from January to June 2015 
the rate increased to 8.75%. After audits and interviews, the researchers identified that there had been a change in the processing of the aspirator. Before January 2015, nurses would disassemble the aspirator, rinse and thoroughly decontaminate it after surgery in the OR, according to the manufacturer's recommendations, and then send it to the reprocessing room for sterilization. Beginning in January 2015, the process became more complicated. Nurses disassembled the aspirator in the OR and sent it to the reprocessing room for cleaning, after which it was returned to the OR to be assembled and then sent back to the reprocessing room for sterilization. After June 2015, the facility began using a different aspirator with a simpler reprocessing procedure and avoided delayed or improper pre-cleaning of complex devices. Stalbids and others reported on the discovery of bioburden after a surgical technologist disassembled a rongeur that, according to its design and manufacturer's guidelines, was to remain assembled for cleaning. After sterilization, two cultures of the rongeur tested positive for S. epidermidis. After the discovery, the facility replaced the closed rongeurs and other instruments of this type with those that can be disassembled for cleaning. Personnel who manage instruments should be included in cleaning and disinfection process decisions and equipment purchase decisions to help identify low-risk options. Instrument pre-cleaning is the first step in reprocessing. Staff members should not use alcohol for pre-cleaning because it increases the difficulty of removing residual soil and protein from the instrument, resulting in higher levels of residual bacterial protein. Staff members should complete instrument pre-cleaning with water, followed by an enzymatic cleaner according to the manufacturer's guidelines. Cleaning instruments during the procedure may also be valuable. Gusto and others conducted an ex vivo pelvic flexure enterotomy in a horse model to compare bacterial contamination of suture material with and without wiping the suture, gloves, and instruments, that is, needle holder and forceps used for suturing, with wet sterile gauze after the closure of the first layer of the pelvic flexure enterotomy. Bacterial contamination of the suture, measured by optical density, was significantly lower in the group after wiping the suture, gloves, and instruments with wet sterile gauze. Surgical instruments pose a significant risk to patients because of their direct contact with a patient's surgical site. However, there are methods to minimize the risk of contamination, such as wiping the instruments with wet gauze and pre-cleaning according to the manufacturer's guidelines. Indirect contact can occur between contaminated items brought into the OR and the HCP's hands or OR surfaces. Mobile phones have become essential for HCPs to improve communication, collaborate, and share information with their teams and patients. These devices can carry microorganisms and therefore can contaminate gloved or ungloved hands when handled. They also can contaminate the surfaces they are placed on, such as the HCP's scrubs and tables or charts. Chang and others conducted an observational cohort study on mobile phones carried by medical staff members working in the OR. The researchers used cotton swabs moistened with distilled water to culture the phone, anterior nares, and dominant hand of the 72 study participants. 70 devices tested positive for bacteria, and 66 of the participants were found to have the same microorganisms on their hands or nares. The most common clinical pathogen was S. aureus, with 16 being methicillin-resistant strains, followed by Enterobacter species and Citrobacter cosari. 
Mergier and others, cultured mobile phones before and after decontamination to identify strains of bacteria before the mobile phones entered an OR. Before decontamination, 49 mobile phones were contaminated. Decontamination significantly reduced the colony count from 258 CFUs before decontamination to 127 CFUs after decontamination. Shaker and others used ATP to quantify organic matter and culture the mobile phones of orthopedic attending surgeons and residents before cleaning and retesting the phones. Before disinfection, the mean ATP reading was 3,488 plus or minus 1,699 RLUs. After cleaning, the mean ATP reading was 200 plus or minus 123 RLUs, with a decrease in pathogen bacteria from 83% before disinfection to 8% after disinfection. Guidelines that restrict use of mobile phones outline decontamination of mobile phones before entering the OR or introduce the use of no-touch devices could decrease contaminants. HCP Practices Task density and the need to respond to a quickly changing sequence of events during an operative or other invasive procedure could lead to cross-contamination between patients and contaminated items. Hand contamination can be minimized with the use of double gloves. A 2015 study reported OR contamination by anesthesia residents after patient induction and intubation when the residents wore single versus double gloves. Researchers measured contamination using fluorescent marking gel and evaluated the spread of marking gel using a handheld UV lamp. They identified contamination of various objects, for example, reservoir bag and oxygen valve, and found that contamination was significantly lower in the double-gloving group. Cole and others conducted an observational trial to study the frequency of contamination of IV ports in ambulatory surgical patients. They found positive bacterial counts on 17.3% of 150 propofol IV stopcocks and 18.6% of 150 non-propofol stopcocks. The most likely source of contamination was the anesthesiologist's hands after contact with a patient in placement of the IV line with subsequent contact with the stopcock to infuse medications during the operative procedure. The researchers recommended controlling contamination with improved hand hygiene. Nomides and others reported an initial hand hygiene rate of 21% with an observed entry and exit of an OR. Hand hygiene rate data and expectations were provided to HCPs on a regular basis, and the rate increased to 55%. Hand hygiene should occur before and after patient contact, before performing a clean or sterile task, after risk for blood or body fluid exposure, after contact with patient surroundings, when hands are visibly soiled, before and after eating, and after using the restroom. Some solutions to improve hand hygiene include understanding HCP's perceptions of when to perform hand hygiene, providing information on the value of hand hygiene and when the action needs to be performed, providing products for hand hygiene that minimize skin irritation and are compatible with gloves, and creating a support structure with leadership commitment to ongoing collection of data and a defined hand hygiene compliance target to help attain and sustain high rates of hand hygiene. In certain circumstances, the use of double gloves for tasks with a high yield of contamination, for example, anesthesia induction, 
and the removal of the outer gloves after completion of the tasks yields less OR contamination. Novel hand hygiene systems, for example, wireless hand decontamination counting devices, can improve hand hygiene, but may not necessarily reduce SSIs and are not cost-neutral. Conclusion The OR environment contains numerous bacterial reservoirs that serve as sources of contamination and provide vectors for transmission. Given the serious consequences of SSIs, controlling what cannot be seen, although challenging, should be a priority. Introducing innovative ideas that address contamination by defining processes, approaching prevention with a multidisciplinary team, systematically implementing practices, and holding HCPs accountable for adhering to these practices can decrease microbe counts. Additional research, with a goal of quantifying the role of environmental microbes and the link between microbes and SSIs, is needed. Perioperative staff members should follow best practices to provide ORs that are free from microbes and should uphold this standard for every patient undergoing a surgical or other invasive procedure.